Well, it's unexpected performances like that and amazing talent that gets us out of our seat and to our feet, uh, or when the baseball team we're rooting for wins the American League and is going to World Series, we get out of our seat. But here's a question uh, before us, because I believe this, like, because God is one who gives us talent and abilities and skills, that really doesn't really, like, get God out of his seat. Like, he's not super, like, awesome and amazed by those kinds of things. So here's a question we're asking today. So again, as people, when we see amazing performances, skill, or effort, or talent, we're, like, blown away. We will rise to our feet. We'll get out of our seat and give someone a standing ovation. But here's a question today is, what makes Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior, the one that gave us abilities and talents, what makes Jesus Christ get out of his seat? What gets his attention? What grabs his attention? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 7, and we will find out what that is. Acts 7. What makes Jesus get out of his seat? What grabs his attention? And we're just going to give a quick uh, context. So last week we were in Acts 6, and I asked you to read Acts 7 because it's a very long passage. It's Stephen's sermon to the Sanhedrin, and it's... 52 verses. I'm not going to go over all those verses. Uh, but basically, if you remember, he's one of the first deacons, one of the first seven in the church at Jerusalem. He goes back to the Freedmen Synagogue, most likely the synagogue he came from, where these freedmen are Jews from probably Rome who are either prisoners or slaves who had now come back to Jerusalem. And he's now talking about Jesus Christ and telling them about the fact that he's the Messiah. They're now bringing him for the Sanhedrin to come to court because they accuse him of four things. He's blasphemed God. He's blasphemed Moses. He's blasphemed the law. and He's blasphemed the temple. And so today we're going to see his response to them and an application for us as well. So what makes Jesus Christ get out of his seat? So in verse uh, Two, it says this, and Stephen said, listen to me, brothers and fathers. Listen to me, brothers and, sisters and fathers. So even though he's now being brought to court, he's greeting them and addressing them in a very respectful way. He's saying, hey guys, listen up. And he calls them fathers and brothers, not because they're believers by this point, it's because, because they're Jewish. They're Jewish, ethnic, ethnically they're Jewish, even though culturally they're Hellenistic. And so he's addressing them as brothers and fathers in a very respectful way. And this is what he does. You can turn to the first slide. He's giving, uh, boldly expressing God's desire and exposing their hearts. First, he's boldly expressing God's desire and exposing their hearts. And so every time we have an opportunity, whether friends or family or coworkers, when we have an opportunity to share the good news, to stay bold about Jesus, we boldly express God's desire and to expose hard hearts or expose people's hearts. And that's what he does in verses 1 through 53. You can turn that uh, outline up. So first he says, all right, y'all have accused me of blaspheming God. And then he gives them an answer. So the whole flow of this section is, here's the accusation you put up against me, and here's my answer. And this is what he does. He turns the tables. He flips the scripts, and he says, now you accuse me of blaspheming God, but really, if you look at the plan of God, you all are the ones who actually are blaspheming God. Why? Because God's expressed desire is to be in relationship with his people. And he keeps saying, but you've resisted God. He uses Joseph as a parallel. The next one is Moses. He said, God even sent Moses. And he says, because Moses met with God, he gave the commandments. He says, God wants to have a relationship with you all as well, but you have blasphemed Moses as well. So he said, I'm walking in line with God and Moses. That's what I'm doing. Look at um, Acts 7, 37. And again, we're not going to go through the whole sermon because it is 52 verses. It's the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. 
Uh, verse 37, this, the, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your countrymen. Talking about Jesus Christ, the one to come. So he says, even Moses said, Jesus coming. And in this sermon, he never mentions the name Jesus Christ. He talks about the righteous one. He talks about the prophet to come. But again, he turns the tables and says, you accuse me of this. Here's my answer. Then he says, hey, you've even accused me of blaspheming the law. He gives the purpose of the law. You've accused me of blaspheming the temple. Here's the purpose of the temple. God doesn't live in houses made with human hands. He's here for something greater. So he boldly expresses God's desire and exposes their hearts. And this is why I say he did it respectfully. Look at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. And this is something for us. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. And if you know the context of 1 Peter, 1 Peter is a book about Christians going through trials and they're suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It could be persecution, it could be opposition, they could have lost jobs because they've named the name of Jesus. Verse 14 says this, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. What a crazy way to think about being blessed, huh? If you're suffering for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set Jesus Christ apart in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And that's what, that's what Stephen does. Stephen says, you've accused me of these things, these four things, and he gives them a very gentle and respectful way of answering them. But he turns the tables on them and says, you know what? The very things you're accusing me of doing, actually, if you look at the whole counsel of God and the plan of God, you all are doing. Go back to Acts 7. So here's the ultimate indictment in verses 51 through 53. You are resisting the Holy Spirit. God has reached out to you through the Spirit and he wants to have a relationship with you. And you are the ones who have resisted the Holy Spirit. You've killed the prophets. Uh, there's several prophets recorded, some in uh, uh, contested history, but they believe Isaiah and Jeremiah and others were actually killed by the kings because they didn't want to hear what they were saying. So he says, you've done all these things because you resist the Holy Spirit. And again, for us, that's what God has said to us as well. We stand boldly for Jesus Christ and he gives us opportunity to talk about the hope that is in us. He says, set Jesus Christ apart as king, as Lord in your lives and give an answer for the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. Um, recently, I had a flat tire uh, and I discovered it in a weird way. How many of y'all have those tire pressure monitors on your car? Whenever it gets cold in Houston, it turns on. I have those when it gets really cold. So we had that cold spell about a week and a half ago. It was like 58 degrees in the morning. My tire pressure light was on. And so I thought I just need to wait for the day to warm up and it'll go away. It didn't go away. I found out I had a screw in my rear driver's side tire. So I took a discount tire where I bought the tires. And this is what the young lady did. I told her specifically, I've got a screw. I just bought these tires a month ago, so they don't need to be changed, but I bought a, these tires. There's a screw in the rear driver's side tire. Would you just fix it or change it? She got out this thing that looked like a cell phone and she began to scan all my tires. And I'm wondering, what is she doing? Because I've told her my problem. My problem is the rear driver's side tire. This is what she was doing. That scan was sca uh, scanning the tread depth. What she was doing is simply exposing if I had another problem in my other tires. And here, because they're discount tires, she's ready to sell me some more tires, right? Her expressed desire was buy more tires, but she exposed my possible need for tires. And when we're bold for Jesus Christ, we're living for him, that's what happens. When God gives us the opportunity, we both express God's desire. God wants to have a relationship with you. It's absolutely free. Jesus Christ paid the price, but he also exposes 
our sin. Um, look at verse 51. He says, you men who are stiff-necked, that word is self-willed. Moses talked about the people of God when they had the golden calf. You guys are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. You've not set God apart in your hearts and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. Which one of the prophets your fathers not persecute? Again, talking about Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. They killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And you have now be, uh, become betrayers and murderers of him. You received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So he basically says, you have resisted the Holy Spirit. God desires a relationship with you and you gave God the stiff arm is what you did. But this is what happens in response. So give verse 40, uh, 54, and this is what makes Jesus get out of the seat. Now, when they heard this, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they were infuriated. That word literally means cut in half with anger. They were filled with anger, and they began gnashing their teeth. A Hebrew idiom means they were really, really angry. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, notice that contrast. They were full of anger. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Look intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of uh, right hand of God. And he said, "Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears. They covered their ears because they didn't want to hear anymore and rushed at him with one mind. So they're united in this purpose. So the apostles and the early Christians are united in being bold. They're being united and taking him out. Verse fifty. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here are these witnesses, these Jewish witnesses who want to kill Stephen. They lay their coats at the feet of Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. So one of the first deacons becomes the first martyr. And if you notice here in the text, he says in verse uh, 55, he said, being full of spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In verse 56, he says, and behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So here's point number two, faithfulness to Christ gets his attention. Faithfulness to Christ gets his attention. Faithfulness of Jesus Christ gets his attention. Everywhere else in the New Testament, when it refers to Jesus Christ, now in the heavenly abode, it talks about him seated at the right hand of the Father. But here, Jesus Christ sees, I mean, Stephen sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. So apparently, Stephen is doing something that is getting recognized or getting Jesus Christ's attention. So here are the four things that will get God's attention. There's various interpretations of this. Why is Jesus Christ standing? Because all other sections of scripture in the New Testament, as a priest, he completed his work and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why is he now standing? The first one is this, is witness, right? There are four W's. There are four W's. The first one is witness. Acts 1.8 says, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Jesus is speaking. You shall be Jesus Christ's witnesses. And so when we are bold witnesses for him, standing for him, what is Jesus doing in heaven? He's also standing as well because now his witness is being expressed through us. So as we stand for Jesus as bold witnesses at work or communities or neighborhoods or schools, now Jesus Christ is standing because he's now expressing his life, his witness through us. So some people believe that's the witness because 
Uh, Psalm 110 verse 1 says this, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will one day be seated at the right hand of the Father, the Messiah to come. But now he's standing because he is a witness. He's working through us. Uh, it's much like this. If you've ever played video games, I saw the making of, I think, NBA 2K22. Uh, if you follow Streetball, there's a guy named The Professor, Grayson Boucher, and they had a video and they showed him with all these little gadgets on his body and he's doing all these moves. He's doing all these moves and then they show the video screen of the video game and the video game character is doing the exact same moves. And that's a picture I have is that as we're witnessing for Jesus Christ, there's Jesus as we stand for him. He's standing as well, expressing his words, his life through us. So the first one, it could be that Jesus is standing because as Stephen is praying, He's saying, I'm actually working through you. But secondly is this, is welcome, is welcome. As Stephen, and I hope this is true for all of us, that as we're on our last days, as we're about to enter glory, that we too would be found praying. He's crying out to God. He's praying and he sees a vision and he sees a picture of heaven and the picture of Jesus standing. Because like many of us, if you invited me to your house or you came to our house, hopefully when I came in the door, hopefully if you came to my office, I would stand and greet you, stand and welcome you. We say this, you're seated and somebody comes in the room and you shake their hand, you say, hey, pardon my seat. Because you know it's rude if you're sitting down and greeting somebody or welcoming somebody. So most, some people would say that Jesus Christ is standing because here is Stephen about to die and Jesus is now welcoming him to his true home. And my prayer is this, for every single one of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, that'd be true of us, that as we're about to enter into glory, enter eternal rest, to be with him and worship him forever, that we too would see Jesus Christ standing and welcoming us. Amen. And I've heard plenty of testimonies from people who are on their deathbeds, about to enter glory, who put their faith in Jesus, who've been bold witnesses. I think about my spiritual mom, Mrs. Lois Evans, Sister Evans, and her kids told me that mom saw heaven. They saw, she saw heaven as she was preparing to enter into glory. So Jesus could be standing saying, welcome home. And my prayer is that every single one of us would experience that as well, that we would have a welcome from him. But the last two W's are connected. And this is one of them, working, working. Yes, he is the high priest, who now finished the work. There's no more sacrifice, so he sat down. But the priests continue to work as well, making intercession on behalf of the people. So here's the picture I get, that Jesus Christ is standing because he's working on Stephen's behalf. As Stephen's praying, receive my spirit. Stephen's praying, forgive them for they don't know what to do. That as he's praying, Jesus is saying, all right, I hear you, let me get to work. He's working, standing up. And perhaps I would hope for us as well that as we pray, as we're interceding, as we're asking God and begging God that Jesus Christ will be working on our behalf as well, making intercession, going to God the Father saying, hey, would you look at this request, look at this need they have, and making intercession on our behalf. So it could be that, that Stephen is praying his last few breaths of life on earth is a prayer, and Jesus Christ is standing because he's at work. And the last one is this. Corny W, but it's wow. It's just wow. Because I've said to you that we may be uh, uh, gripped by the Astros and their performance. We may be gripped by singers and vocalists, gripped by people who perform well and do well with amazing talent, gripped by people who have effort. But again, God gave those talents. God gave those uh, efforts. We were, um, I was doing premarital counseling. My wife and I were doing premarital counseling on Friday night with a couple that go here. The groom-to-be lives in our neighborhood. So after they finished uh, the premarital counseling, so we didn't watch the game at all, we're walking outside. I'm walking them back towards their house or towards his house. 
And a neighbor of ours has the Astros game on a big screen outside in the front yard, and they're watching outdoors. Because again, as people of Houston who love the Astros, that's what grabs our attention. But in God's economy, what grabs God's attention is faithfulness and boldness. And Jesus Christ sees Stephen, the first deacon, who probably hasn't even been like serving very long, who's also a new believer. He sees his bold witness. Accusation, answer, accusation, answer, accusation, answer, accusation, answer. And Jesus Christ stands to his feet because he's wowed by that. And so my question is this, the title of the sermon is, will he stand for you? Maybe better yet, in the first present tense, we would say, is he standing right now for you? Tomorrow morning when you go to work, will he stand for you? Working on your behalf, wowed by your boldness, not obnoxiousness, not self-righteousness, but your bold witness because you're full of the Holy Spirit and you believe that a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the most important relationship anyone can have. Will he stand for you? And is he standing for you? Is he standing for you? And notice this is how powerful his witness is. For those of you who know, uh, who wrote the book of Acts? Come on, y'all, say it with confidence. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke did. Who wrote the gospel of Luke? Great, that wasn't a trick question. In Luke 23, 46, Jesus says the same thing. Luke 23, 46, Jesus Christ says, Father, receive my spirit. Stephen utters very similar words. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he says, what happens? In, in uh, Acts 7, Stephen says the same thing. So we see this witness and prayer even until his last few breaths on this side of earth, on this side of eternity, I mean. So faithfulness to Christ gets his attention. But here's something else I want to share with you. Verse 58, verse 58, 758. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him and the witnesses, these Jewish witnesses, laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here's a question. He's a young man named Saul. What does the Bible call a young man? Most likely at this point, Saul is in his early to mid-30s. So if you're in your early to mid-30s, you're a young man or young woman. Why did they lay their cloaks at the feet of Saul? This is why. In Jewish culture, they would have these heavy cloaks. Let's just call it a large coat. And they're about to stone somebody. They're about to stone Stephen to death for blaspheming, really because they feel convicted and they're full of anger. And so they're like, Man, we need to get our pitching arms loose, so we're going to take off our coats. We need to have a lot of just mobility and flexibility. So imagine if you're going skiing or snowboarding, you've got a large, heavy coat on. Before you do anything with your upper body, you're going to probably take it off. And you're probably throwing a lot of stones. You're going to build up a sweat. So that what they do is they take their coats off, their cloaks off, and they lay them at the feet of the Apostle Paul. He's the Saul still. They lay them at his feet, saying, hold our coats, watch our coats. He's still young. Remember, he's disciple Gamaliel, one of the other Jewish leaders. He's still young. So they're saying, hold our coats. So it'd be like you. If you're about to get in a fight with somebody, you're like, look, hold my coat, hold my earrings, like hold it, like I'm about to go do business, right? So here's point number three. Oh, I'm sorry. Look at verse uh, one of chapter eight. Chapter eight. Now Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. Now Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. So this is Saul before he becomes apostle Paul on the Damascus road. And I don't know because the Bible doesn't speak of it, but I'm imagining that the witness, the bold witness unto death of Stephen made an impact in Saul's life. That as he heard Jesus now addressing him, he might have remembered this bold witness. Not an apostle out of the thousands, one of the deacons that was raised up to be a deacon who's now bold witness. 
Here's point number three. Be faithful because you never know who's witnessing your witness. You never know who's witnessing your witness. So people at your work, your job, your community group or whatever, wherever you are and you're witnessing and all that, you don't know who's witnessing your witness. Someone may be blessed. Someone may come to Christ years, months later because of your faithfulness and your boldness. You never know who's witnessing your witness. So it's a call to faithfulness. They're laying their coats. Saul's witnessing this. Saul's in agreement, putting him to death. There's a, a guy that mentored me. His name is Tom Sayer. Tom told me this amazing testimony, just like this. Tom said to me, hey, Icky, um, so I, I became a Christian in high school. Our youth pastor went to Cal Berkeley, and many of the youth leaders were college students or friends from college that were also there. Tom played football at Cal Berkeley. He was second string linebacker behind a guy named Ron Rivera. If you know football, you know who Ron Rivera is. Ron Rivera, is. Ron Rivera played for the Bears, now then, then coached for the Panthers. He's now coached for the Washington football team. And so he said, I played behind Ron Rivera. And he had a Bible study with us. He discipled me and my best friend. And um, we grew tremendously under just his discipling. And Tom said this uh, when I was in college. He said, hey, I've been a teacher for about a decade. He was a teacher. And he said, I'm thinking about actually <clears throat> getting into missions. I feel like God's called me to the former Soviet Union, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, somewhere. I feel like God's called me to missions. Would you pray for me? So my best friend and I began to pray for him. A few months later, I come back home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I don't remember, and I saw Tom again. And he said, I gotta tell you this story about how God's starting to answer that prayer. So when he was in college, um, God radically saved him. God turned his life around. He's playing football for Cal Berkeley. And he said, I was also involved with crew, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, here's a picture. So for those watching online, and there's folks from California watching online, so please don't take this as an insult because I'm from California too. But California is called the cereal land because it's full of flakes and nuts, all right? <laughs> cereal bowl country. Cal Berkeley, if you think California is liberal, Cal Berkeley is liberal as all can be. It's like the liberal of liberal places. So imagine being a Christian group there on campus. And so Tom played football there at Cal Berkeley, six foot four, 260 pounds, big strapping guy. And he said, we got involved with the crew, and one day we began to hand out tracks in the quad. So imagine the center campus, and he said, we began, all these football players and others and rugby players began to hand out tracks in the middle of the day. And people were literally like mocking us, taking the tracks, ripping them in front of our face, throwing them away, putting them in the trash. They would just take them and then discard them. We found all these tracks on the, on the sidewalk. But he said this, Icky recently, and this is like a decade, 15 years later, I'm walking in the mall with my Cal Berkeley hoodie on or sweatshirt on. And a woman about my age stops me in the mall. And she says, hey, you played football at Cal Berkeley, didn't you? And he said, I did, I did. And you also like were doing ministry with crew or something, right? Were you like handing tracks out one time in the quad? And he said, oh, we did a lot. We used to hand out tracks all the time in the quad. And she said, I want to tell you my story. And he said, all right. She said, I used to like laugh at you guys, mock you guys. But one day I took one of the tracks and I literally was just going to throw it on the sidewalk or throw it in the trash. But this time I took a track and I took it home and I actually read it. And in my bedroom, I read that track and I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I got involved in the church, got discipled, grew, went to Bible study. And get this now, get this. 
And now I work in full-time ministry. I work for a missions agency that sends missionaries to the former Soviet Union. So here's Tom, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, football player, 6'4", 260, handing out trash, getting laughed at, mocked by people. People just throwing them trash on the ground, ripping them in half. One person witnessing this takes a track, reads it, comes of faith in Jesus Christ, is in full-time ministry. He's praying about going to missions overseas, and who could answer that prayer? It could have been her. He ended up going with another organization, but still, the significance is this. You never know who's witnessing your witness. You never know. Get this also, you all. When God gives you the opportunity, when people see the hope that's in you, and you're at work in your community with other soccer moms or others, they see the hope that's in you, and God gives you opportunity to share your faith. Just be faithful in that. Just be faithful in that. The outcome is not dependent on you. Here's why I say that. I was talking to a very discouraged pastor recently, and he said, Icky, man, I preach faithfully every Sunday, God's word. We have an amazing worship team that just leads people into worship. Our members are reaching out to their neighbors, and our community's like growing. We've got new homes popping up everywhere. Community's growing, but our church is not growing. I'm preaching faithfully every Sunday, God's word, and our church is not growing. And I said this. I said, you know what? Look at, look at Acts. Every single sermon in Acts, whether it's Peter, Stephen, and others, is basically taking the Old Testament and pointing from the Old Testament to Jesus Christ. It's an Old Testament apologetic that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Every single sermon is that. Stephen preaches Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, and 3,000 men come to faith in Jesus Christ. 5,000 others later on come to faith in Jesus Christ. Old Testament apologetic, Jesus is the Christ. Stephen preaches a similar sermon, and what happens? Nobody comes to Christ, and he's stoned to death. But you know what grabs God's attention is not how many people come to faith in Jesus Christ, is your faithfulness. Amen. So I said to this pastor who's discouraged, I said, brother, stay faithful. Be faithful. You stay faithful in preaching God's word, and you trust God with the outcome. You stay faithful to God. So I charge that to you all as well. When you go home for Thanksgiving this year and God gives you an opportunity and says, you're different. That coworker who's going through the divorce says, what's the hope in you? What's the difference in you? You just simply are faithful to point them to Jesus Christ and trust God for the outcome. They may laugh at you. They may mock you. They may say, you're not welcome coming back to Thanksgiving next year. They may do all those things. But you are faithful in that. So be faithful because you never know who's witnessing your witness. Here's a big idea for today. When you stand for Jesus, he stands for you. When you stand for Jesus, he stands for you. And I know in the room right now, all the Bible scholars in here are saying, icky, icky, hold on, hold on. Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive, right? It's not prescribing this is how it always goes or this is how it should be done. It's describing what happened. And just because Stephen saw Jesus standing doesn't mean that every one of us in here, if we're faithful to him or bold for him or stand for him, that he's gonna stand for us. You're absolutely correct in that. But if you look at Matthew chapter 10, the section on discipleship in Matthew chapter 10, so it's not an issue of salvation, going to heaven or not. In Matthew 10, he says, you know what? You follow me, you submit to me, you're a student follower, you love me, you pursue me, you follow me, you focus on me, you submit every area of your life to me more and more increasingly every day. And then he says this in Matthew 10, 32. This is my own translation, so it's not NIV, CSV, ESV, or any of those translations. This is my own translation. Jesus says this, therefore, 
if you and I, any one of us, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are not saying, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord. If any of us boldly confess Jesus Christ before people on earth, Jesus says, I will bank on it, boldly confess you before my Father in heaven. Why did I say that? The word confess there, it's a weak translation in most ver versions. It means not just like, like silent going, okay, I confess you, Lord. I, I believe, yes, I confess you. The word literally means to confess out loud. To say it out loud, to take a stand, to be bold. That's what it means. Then right after that, verse 33 says, now if you deny me, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to deny you before the Father. I'm going to be ashamed of you. What he's not saying is you lose your salvation. It's not a pass on salvation. He's saying this. It's a matter of stewardship. Someone asked me between services saying, are you saying that we have to work for these good things? We have to earn all these good things? I said, no, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of stewardship. What God is saying is this. If you'll be bold Jesus is saying, if you'll be bold for me in my work as the priest and the mediator, I'll be bold on your behalf. And here's the thing. There could be some of us in here who are ashamed of him, who deny him, not maybe out and out, but we have opportunities to talk about the hope that's in you, that you're as quiet as a church mouse. You don't say anything. You're super passive. And then you're praying for big things. And Jesus is like, if you're going to deny me in little things, why, why, why would I give you more stuff? If right now, like you're working in a miserable job, coworkers you don't like who desperately need Jesus, a boss who's a jerk and you're not getting paid a whole lot, but you can't be bold for him. God gives all these opportunities and God keeps saying, yeah, the reason why your coworkers are jerks is because they don't know me. They don't have a relationship with me. They don't understand my grace and my love for them. And you're praying like, Lord, give me a new job. And, and Jesus is like, why would I stand for you if you're not going to stand for me? Why would I give you a new job with more money and more opportunities and all that stuff? If in the job you have right now, you're like, quiet, not say anything. So that's Matthew 10.32. That's in the Bible. So here's the thing. The question is, will he stand for you? And I pray that all of us in here one day as we're entering into glory, whether next week or 20 years from now, 80 years from now, whatever the time is, that Jesus Christ will stand for us and welcome us in. But I also pray this, that as we have opportunity to be bold witnesses for him, that Jesus would see our boldness and that would grab his attention. Just like someone in Houston, that the Astros grab their attention when they play, that Jesus would be grabbed, his attention would be grabbed because you are a, full, a faithful witness, a bold witness for him. Amen. And so that when you pray, Lord, I'm praying for healing. Lord, I'm praying for this new job. Lord, I'm praying for this coworker. That Jesus is like, God, Father, 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 can, can you hear what they're saying? Look how bold they are. And I'm going to be bold before you because of how bold they are for me. So... When you stand for Jesus, he stands for you. Um, do any of you remember what you were doing on April 20th, 1999? April 20th, 1999. For some of you, you were not even born in 1999. So <laughs> I came home that day, like many of you, and watched the evening news. And now we hear about it more and more, sadly. 
But it was Columbine High School. Columbine High School. One of the first mass shootings in modern history. And I remember vividly, I was talking to, I, I co-host a podcast called Inside the Chapel. My co-host is a chaplain for the Denver Broncos. He lives in Colorado. And he said, I was playing football at the time at Colorado State University, only about an hour away. And I remember like we had practice. We came home from practice. We're all watching the news as we're eating our dinner. And we saw just an hour south of us that there was a school shooting. 13 people were killed. And in that, two Christian girls were killed. One of them is disputed exactly what she said, but the other one is not disputed. Her name was Rachel Scott. And Rachel Scott was a 17-year-old who was bold in her witness. She did Bible studies on campus, very active in youth group, invited her friends to church, shared the gospel openly, was scorned and mocked by people because of that. And around lunchtime, 11.15, she was sitting on the front lawn of the school with a friend, Richard Castelda. They were enjoying lunch together. And the two gunmen came up to them. And they asked him this question. Richard Castelda, after he got out of the hospital, said this. He said, they asked us, do you believe in God? I said no. She said yes. Four bullets were uh, shot into her. One hit her temple and she instantly died. She was the first to be killed at Columbine. And he said, Richard Costello said, and the reason why I think I'm alive is because I denied believing in God. A 17-year-old who was bold in her witness, a high school student on campus, Columbine High School, Bible studies, sharing the good news. She called it spreading kindness, exhibiting the character of Christ. She's the first to be killed. Now, I don't know what it looked like as now her spirit is entering into glory. But I would guess that Jesus stood to receive her. I'd guess that. And my prayer is that Jesus would there, be there to receive us standing as well. But here's what I do know. At her funeral, 1,000 people showed up to her funeral. And there at her funeral, the gospel was clearly proclaimed. People came to faith in Jesus Christ upon hearing the gospel. So about a room twice as big as 1,000 people there at her funeral. But here's the other crazy thing. Because it was such a well-known school shooting across the nation, both CNN and MSNBC live broadcast her funeral. So millions of others around the world heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Because a 17-year-old girl was bold in her witness while she was living, but bold even to her death. So again, my prayer is this, is that when we enter into glory, one day, we don't know the day, that Jesus Christ will be standing for us. But right now, currently, tomorrow at work, at school, will Jesus Christ be standing for you, making intercession for you because of your bold witness for him? Because again, if we stand for him, He'll stand for us. Let's pray. God, uh, by your grace, you've given us unmerited salvation, our life, our health, our strength. God, everything that you've entrusted to us, you've called us to be a steward, a manager over. So God, I pray for each person on the sound of my voice and everyone watching online that we would be bold for you, that we'd stand for Jesus. 
We know that when we stand faithfully in obedience, taking on the character of Christ, especially in the face of opposition, mockery, scorning, even persecution, if we boldly confess Jesus for people on earth, Jesus will boldly confess us before the Father in heaven. So God, help us to just etch that picture in our hearts and our minds as we go to work tomorrow. That we would stand for Jesus Christ. That Jesus would physically, I mean spiritually, stand through our physical bodies as witnesses for him. And God, if there's anyone here today that's just put their faith in Christ that does not know you, that perhaps was the one who was hard-hearted, stiff-necked, but today has said, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner, separated because of my sin from God, but believe that Jesus died for me in my place, that today be the day they place their faith in Christ. And God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said,